Let us pray. Jesus, let your precious blood wash me from my sins. Let your wounds hide me from the wrath of God and the severity of judgment. I will die in you and you shall live in me. I will abide in you and you shall abide in me. You will not abandon me to death and dust, but will raise me to the resurrection of life. You have fought and conquered for me. Now fight and conquer in me. Let your strength be perfected in my weakness. My soul clings to you, and I will not allow it to be separated from you. Let your peace, which passes all understanding, keep my heart and senses. In your name, amen. Dear fellow redeemed, grace to you and peace from God our Father and our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. The text for our meditation this morning is from the 119th Psalm, the 11th stanza, verses 81 through 88. Please rise. My soul is spent looking for your salvation. I hope on your word. My eyes are spent looking for your sayings, saying, when will you comfort me? For I am like a wineskin in smoke. I do not forget your engraved commands. How many days does your servant have? When will you bring judgment on my pursuers? The proud dig pits for me, not according to your law. All your commandments are trustworthy. Falsely they pursue me. Help me. They almost wiped me from the earth, but I, I have not forsaken your regulations. According to your mercy, make me live, and I will keep the testimony of your mouth. These are your words, Heavenly Father. Sanctify us in the truth. Your word is truth. Amen. Kaf, the Hebrew letter that begins each line in this stanza, makes the K, or hard C sound, and sometimes even a harsher guttural H sound. It's not a sound we usually have in our English alphabet. But, and that last one, though, that H might almost, in fact, sound like a sigh. Appropriate that we might think that it's a sigh after reading these verses, which begin with two spents. My soul is spent looking for your salvation. I hope on your word. My eyes are spent looking for your sayings, saying, when will you comfort me? We always have hope. That's our lives as Christians. We always look forward to God's promises being fulfilled, and we know that they will be. But we're also just so exhausted in that hope. This theme of being so worn out in life, God's Word teaches us death and life. So we learn how we have death to the world and life to God. You may have heard of the early Christian martyrs, how willingly they went into the mouths of the lions in the Colosseum, some of them even singing a hymn and running towards those devouring beasts. The apostles are paragons of this virtue. St. James was killed by Herod by means of a sword. St. Bartholomew was beaten and beheaded. St. Peter was crucified upside down. Saints Matthew and Thomas were killed with spears. Saints Andrew, Philip, and Jude and Simon were all crucified, and some perhaps on crosses of slightly different shapes. The other St. James was beaten to death. St. Paul was beheaded in Rome. 
Only St. John was not killed for the faith, but undoubtedly he would have been willing to do so. Heroes, all. Why do we remember their deaths? When we are in the midst of the most difficult times of our lives, those deaths might actually intimidate us. Can we stand as bravely as they did in the face of death or worse? When it gets really bad, we might think that we just won't measure up. Christians are supposed to look bravely at death, to set our jaws, to smile and sing boldly, to show a strong example for all the others around us, right? Well, our psalm depicts a different scene. My soul is spent looking for your salvation. My eyes are spent looking for your sayings. For I am like a wineskin in smoke. How many days does your servant have? Again, the willing acceptance of suffering is hard to swallow. How much don't we furrow our brows when we sing, If sorrow comes, I'll bear it. In patience and in trust, my life and soul, I owe them to him who doth bestow them. Let him do as he will. This seems to be that que sera, sera attitude that's counter to our nature. But it's not just accepting what will be. We do accept it, or we acknowledge that this suffering must indeed come, but it's not always accompanied by a staunch, steadfast face looking forward to it. Instead, it's accompanied by this plea for comfort. I hope on your word. When will you comfort me? Notice this unity that we suffer in this life and are looking for God's comfort and his promise in this life only adds to the suffering. Why is our soul spent? It's because we hope on his word. Why are we like a wineskin in smoke? It's because we do not forget his engraved commands. The weight of God's law is hard. It's so very hard to remain true to the path carved out by God for us. Part of what makes it hard is the world itself. As we express this exhaustion, how many days does your servant have? When will you bring judgment on my pursuers? The proud dig pits for me, not according to your law. All your commandments are trustworthy. Falsely they pursue me. Help me. But we are also allied with the world. The villains in this stanza and in this whole psalm are those proud ones, the Zadim in Hebrew, and they are God's enemies. Think especially of Jesus' enemies, the Pharisees and Sadducees, the experts in the law and the chief priests. They all brought challenges to Jesus. Often they plotted together how to trap him in his words. The proud dig pits for me, not according to your law. When they finally captured him, they were looking for false testimony against Jesus so that they could put him to death. All your commandments are trustworthy. Falsely, they pursue me. Help me. When Jesus could have, with a word, saved himself from the death sentence, he did not answer him, not even one word. They almost wiped me from the earth, but I, I have not forsaken your regulations. We have to compare all our enemies to Jesus' enemies. 
And this isn't to dismiss the trials that we face, but to see whether those trials are, in fact, due to our own sin, or whether those trials connect us to Christ. And ultimately, this is what suffering will mean to us, that we are connected to Jesus. If we want to boast in the way this psalm does, I, I have not forsaken your regulations, well, then we should be careful that we aren't counting on our own merits. Can't you think of a time that you have forsaken God's regulations? Can you speak that verse honestly? I haven't forsaken them. Don't we say the exact opposite of that in our confession of sin? Throughout life we have often and in many ways offended you, our Lord and Maker, in thought, word, and deed, so that you could with perfect justice reject and condemn us for all eternity. No, we can't boast in our own goodness. But how can we boast? Far be it from me to boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, through which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. This is why we suffer. Yes, we sin and sometimes we do suffer for our own sin, but sin also exists in the world and its effects exist in the world. And death comes to us on account of that sin. The world is dead, in fact, and we are trapped in its death. But Jesus comes to pull us out of it. We know that our old self was crucified with him to make our sinful body powerless so that we would not continue to serve sin. For the person who has died has been declared free from sin. And since we died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with him. We know that since Christ has been raised from the dead, he will never die again. Death no longer has control over him. For the death he died, he died to sin once and for all. But the life he lives, he lives to God. In the same way, also consider yourselves dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus. Those old Christians created an art. In Latin, it's called ars morendi, or the art of dying. Death would come. They knew that. And they knew that it would terrify even those Christians who knew that death was just the portal to eternal life. So the Ars Morendi was a means of comfort in the face of death. How should a Christian die? And the hope is that no Christian dies in fear. And that hope comes by virtue of our new identity that we have in Jesus. It begins and ends with Jesus. To understand your own death, first look at the death of Jesus. He himself carried our sins in his body on the tree so that we would be dead to sins and alive to righteousness. By his wounds you were healed. This is a declaration of God. It's a promise. It's his saying. And it's because he has said it that we hold him to it. And we cry out on our own, saying, When will you comfort me? While we suffer pains and trials, we hope. And we remember that he gives life always for our death. My soul is spent looking for your salvation. I hope on your word. We have this unquenchable exhaustion. But God's words shines still for us. 
We've seen how not one of his promises has failed. They've all been fulfilled in Jesus. And he told people, you search the scriptures because you think you have eternal life in them. They testify about me. We have life from Jesus given to us through his word. And the word is connected to visible elements like water in baptism. We were therefore buried with him by this baptism into his death, so that just as he was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too would also walk in a new life. And elements like bread and wine in the Lord's Supper. The Lord Jesus on the night when he was betrayed took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after the meal, he also took the cup, saying, This cup is the New Testament in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. United to Jesus in this way, you have his life. He took your death and he gave you his life. You are alive in Christ. My eyes are spent looking for your sayings, saying, when will you comfort me? Because we know where that comfort comes from, so we gaze deeply into it until our eyes dry out. We read and we pray aloud until our lips are parched. We weep until we can't produce another tear. But in Christ, we have life. We have the faith that clings to him. For you did not receive a spirit of slavery so that you are afraid again, but you received the spirit of adoption by whom we call out, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself joins our spirit in testifying that we are God's children. In the same way the Spirit helps us in our weakness, we do not know what we should pray for, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groans that are not expressed in words. For I am like a wineskin in smoke. I do not forget your engraved commands. A wineskin, it's not something that we're terribly familiar with nowadays, but if you left a wineskin over the drying smoke of a fire, it becomes brittle and wrinkled until it cracks and leaks out all its contents. And when wine seeps out of that skin, it looks like blood sweating out in agony. I want you to remember Jesus as he faced the great trial of the Sanhedrin, Herod, and Pilate, and looking ahead to his own crucifixion. He prayed in the Garden of Gethsemane, Father, if you are willing, take this cup away from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. The Son of God was already feeling this spiritual, physical, emotional, and mental exhaustion. His soul was spent. His eyes were spent. He was like a wineskin in smoke. The Son of God needed aid in his human flesh. And so an angel from heaven appeared to him and strengthened him. As he was in agony, he prayed more fervently. And in that great spiritual pain, even though he was the Son of God, even though there was an angel visibly present to help him, even still his sweat became like great drops of blood falling to the ground. Jesus did that for you. Jesus went through the worst spiritual exhaustion imaginable, even to the point that God did abandon him to suffer his hellish wrath. And so now, 
When you suffer in spiritual distress, you can know that Jesus went before you. Even though he was the Son of God, even though he had that aid of an angel visibly present with him while he prayed, his pain was great enough that he sweat drops of blood. So however great your pain and agony is, Jesus is with you, suffering with you. How many days does your servant have? When will you bring judgment on my pursuers? God is a God of justice, after all. We can't sit around waiting forever. Moses sang the days of our lives add up to 70 years, or 80 years if we are strong, yet the best of them are trouble and sorrow, for they disappear quickly and we fly away. And so he also petitioned, teach us to number our days in such a way that we bring a heart of wisdom. Turn, O Lord, how long? Change your mind toward your servants. See, our minds need to change so that we stop concerning ourselves so overmuch with our temporal worries, seeking personal gain through sin, whether it's material gain, emotional gain, or social gain. We must repent. We must turn back to God and learn that wisdom which the book of Proverbs tells us begins with the fear of the Lord. But God's mind also has to change in regards to us. Because of our sin, he looks on us in wrath and anger and judgment. But we pray for his judgment to come on our pursuers, not on ourselves. When we look honestly, we know we deserve that judgment, so how can we ask him to turn it aside? Only in Christ. Because God's wrath came on him. Death came to him. So that for us now it holds no power and instead we have life even through death. The proud dig pits for me not according to your law. The temptation to sin is always right in front of us in our lives. I fail to do the good I want to do. Instead the evil I do not want to do. That is what I keep on doing Our sinful flesh is strong. What a miserable wretch I am. Who will rescue me from this body of death? I thank God through Jesus Christ our Lord. In Him we have new life and we have strength to resist that sin. The pits dug for us by the proud world, the devil, and our own sinful flesh are passed by by us. And even when we do fall into those pits, all your commandments are trustworthy. Falsely they pursue me. Help me. Those sins have not destroyed us. Jesus paid for all of them on the cross. Forgiveness is given by Jesus in Christ on the cross. We are helped by God. Notice that God's commandments are trustworthy while the enemies work falsely, and that difference should be stark. On the one hand, God's commandments will not fail, but always stand. And therefore, our own guilt in regards to those commandments is also undeniable. But the pursuit of those enemies is false. The devil will always whisper in your ear, for instance, that you are too guilty to be saved by Jesus. You've sinned too many times. And because you keep on sinning, obviously you don't actually have faith, you're just faking it, and you don't deserve forgiveness. But every one of those things is a lie. We know that anyone who has been born of God does not go on sinning, but the one who was born of God 
protects him, and the evil one cannot take hold of him. We know that we are from God, and the whole world lies in the grip of the evil one. We know that the Son of God has come and has given us understanding so that we may know him who is true. And we are in him who is true, in his Son, Jesus Christ. He is the true God and eternal life. And of this Jesus Christ, the Son of God, who is our eternal life, we can also say with the Apostle that he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. They almost wiped me from the earth, but I, I have not forsaken your regulations. Because we are clothed in Christ's righteousness and life, God looks at us and sees a perfect record. We have lived in his regulations because we live in Christ. Not by our own power, this is completely and utterly a gift given by our Savior through his word and sacraments. It's because we're made alive again. According to your mercy, make me alive, and I will keep the testimony of your mouth. That's repentance. God speaks us into life, as Jesus called Lazarus out of the tomb. We were dead in our trespasses and sins, but God, because he is rich in mercy, because of the great love with which he loved us, made us alive with Christ even when we were dead in trespasses. It is by grace you have been saved. He also raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. So you and I are alive already in Jesus, even as we are dead. Exhausted in our hope, that's the Christian life. We can't do it, not without God giving us his mercy and uniting us to Christ in the word and sacraments. But he does do all of that. He blesses us more than we know. The ars morendi for the Christian, the art of dying, is simply looking at the surpassing greatness of God's blessing to us that even in our suffering, even in our death, God unites us to our Savior, Jesus. We learn the art of dying and the art of living from the life-giving word of Jesus Christ who died and who lives for you. Amen. Glory be to the Father and to the Son and to the Holy Spirit as it was in the beginning, is now, and ever shall be, forevermore. Amen.